Hello and welcome to College Admissions with Mark and Anna. Each week we talk about different college admissions topics and answer those tough questions you may be dealing with concerning getting into the college of your choice. We know how stressful this process can be, so each episode we try to make it easier to navigate. Now, here are your hosts, Anna Wren and Mark Hofer. Hi everyone and welcome to the College Admissions Podcast with your host, Anna Wren and Mark Hofer. We're super excited to talk with you guys today about the Longview setup and kind of what that means. Um, So go ahead, Mark. So Anna, one of the things that we were talking about, and and as with the the COVID-19 situation expands, I don't know about you, but I've had more parents recently who have asked me, you know, they're looking at this Longview setup for college and they're seeing all the things that are going on now and they're saying, you know, maybe I just need to start earlier. I really need to look at this in the long run kind of viewpoint. And a lot of them, they're, they're, they're asking me, how early can we start? And they've got eighth or ninth graders. And I'm curious, have you run into this more recently? I don't, I mean, maybe more within the past two or three years, but not necessarily this year. Uh, because of COVID. But over the past two or three years, I think because um, they see the media and that it's getting increasingly competitive, although in some ways we're heading for less competitive too, just because of birth rates coming up. But um, they're only looking at like, oh, it's, it's always changing. And with COVID, you know, and now the dropping of, you know, standardized testing and everything, it is always changing. Um, and so it's always hard because like, when people say like, can I start? And I see how young they are, it really depends. Um, Because there are certain pros to starting early, but there's also negatives too, right? Where they might burn out sooner. So I think it's like on a case to case basis, but I think what you and I are gonna talk about today is what things they can start doing regardless if they wanted to start quote unquote prepping early. Absolutely, and I think um, having worked in developmental psychology for so many years, I've, I've noticed that my, my view has kind of shifted um, where I used to just kind of poo-poo, mm-hmm. why would we actually work with somebody who's in eighth or ninth grade when they were talking about situations and questions that they really are not prepared for. And as time has gone on, and as I've worked with more students and seen them go through the high school to college and to life transition, I really identify there's a couple of things that, you know, you can put in process with 13 and 14 year olds that actually do pan out and pay off uh, later when they're looking at college application season and beyond. Yes. And the other thing I would also say is the benefits sometimes Yes, potentially burning out early. It depends how you handle it, right? And mindset along the way. But it can also potentially reduce uh, stress, actually. Because instead of trying to squeeze everything in to like the last year or two of high school, you will have started to make um, progress earlier on and like given yourself the foundation so that when it gets to the last year or two, it's going to feel natural, everything that, you know, the colleges are looking for you to express. Exactly. I, and I think that's one of the things I try to let parents know if they want to start working with a student early. That can look very different for different students, depending on where they are 
in their own development. But one of the things that I really try to stress is if we do start in ninth or eighth grade, what we do have, and much like you said, the stress level can be reduced because we have this nice long runway in which we can prepare a lot of behaviors and a lot of habits that directly relate to some of the questions that we will be asking when they are juniors and be able to handle them in a much different way. Yes. So I would say let's start off with academics. Now I'm going to let you kick it off because you're the STEM guy. <laughs> well, I get in trouble on this one. And basically because <laughs> um, one of the things that I really, and this really pays off, if you're talking about an eighth grader who's moving into high school, and they're looking at the classes that they're going to take. Now, I had a student this year who, as a senior, he, one of his college essays was basically, why didn't somebody tell me in eighth grade that I was on a track for math that wouldn't prepare me for the SAT? And meaning, mm -hmm. um, basically, if you have calculus in your junior year, you are far more prepared than somebody who has taken pre-calculus. The reason being, it's not necessarily that you've been exposed to material that's additional that won't show up on the SAT, but you can recognize it and you've dealt with it. It's much easier and you can do it faster. And that translates into higher SAT scores. And so I really encourage parents and students to get on that math track that allows them to have calculus by junior year. Yes, and the other thing I usually see, because we see it here on the East Coast too, is like, do you ever get parents that ask, are we too late? <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it depends, but like for students I know that are interested in STEM, and you know, having had a student before that would have graduated with only pre-calculus as a senior and receiving um, a letter from one of the schools that accepted him that required him to take calculus before starting at that school, you know, math is really important, not just for the SATs, but if you are headed towards a STEM path um, or business even, I would say, uh, they are looking for them to have had calculus by the time they graduate. And, you know, I think you can see that rigor, we've always talked about rigor before, but students, I think that are up to let's say taking calculus C as a senior versus a student you know in pre-calc or calc AB is different right exactly. um, so that's where I think like that is probably the one subject that I think uh, can make a difference in the college path and I've, I've even you know I and students who aren't heading towards STEM um, or necessarily they don't even like STEM subjects I'm really encouraging them, and as you say, make sure you've had calculus by your, your senior year. And it's just basically being exposed to those ideas and how calculus works. And the whole idea behind that is that it makes you more effective in whatever area you are going to study in college and possibly as a profession. Um, the reason being you can interpret information and data more uh, effectively if you know trends and how things actually trend over time. And I think that is something that no matter what you choose to study or what you choose to do in life, if you can have that kind of foundational understanding before you graduate high school, you can be more effective in college and at your job. Yes, 
I would agree with you there. Um, the other one I think I, I like to, as a, as a fun class kind of for math, is, um, is st statistics. I found that to be a really helpful course in college. So um, for my business school students, I usually tell them that that might actually be a really beneficial course to take uh, before you graduate high school. I think you're absolutely right. And a that, that goes hand in hand with the, the student and parents who ask, you know, should they take calculus or statistics? And that kind of puts me in a, a rock and a hard spot in that I, I really think all students should have statistics and the reason being their analysis of data over time and being able to read uh, information that's provided you, especially here in the future where we are so data-driven, mm -hmm. um, that I think that statistics understanding is invaluable and it allows you to be much more effective in whatever you choose to do. Agreed. Uh, so other than academics, you know, an, I think another thing we talk about and is coming to a head, I was just telling you, I've been in brag sheet <laughs> a week um, for, for prepping for recommendations. Um, but what I would say is like, start learning how to build relationships early. And I know for a lot of students, when I was just checking out their brag sheets, like one of the things that kept coming up for students in terms of one thing they'd like to improve about themselves is uh, the ability to either self-advocate or just speak up or communicate better. Um, I, I know like some students, especially this generation, I feel like because it's so digital, they, have, they feel a little intimidated uh, talking in person, but it's such a valuable skill across so many different fields, right, Mark? Agreed. And matter of fact, that's one of the things I think, and like you said, dealing with brag sheets and with recommendations and asking for them, that is a skill all of its own. And it's not an academic subject, but building relationships is one of the most valuable things that a student can learn in high school and in college. So I, I totally agree with you. And that's one of the things we run into with juniors um, we find out that they haven't been building those relationships and they haven't, you know, established the, that rapport with teachers and especially with counselors who are overwhelmed with, you know, 300 to 400 students and may not have ever had a conversation with a student, but still they need to write a recommendation. So for eighth graders and ninth graders, I tell them from day one, get in there and start identifying the teachers that you will have, not only in freshman year, but in sophomore and junior and senior years and stop in and say, you know, hey, what can I do? I hear that I'm, I know I'm, I'm going to be taking your class uh, in the future. What can I do now that'll help me prepare for it? And I think those kind of conversations that a student can have early on basically make brag, se brag sheet season and recommendations <laughs> so much easier. That's that long having that long runway that comes in so handy. It does. And I've had this pushback from students before where they're, they, they say, I don't want to be a suck up or, you know, I, I'm not a brown noser. And what I tell them is it's not about brown nosing or sucking up for that matter, because I know they do see other students that do that. You know, you are the person that determines what kind of relationship you have with a teacher. So even if it is, uh, if you're struggling in a class to review a certain chapter or a concept again, that's still building a relationship. Um, if it I is, totally 
and, and like the class is something you're interested in potentially in college too, or just piques your interest and you learn more about it outside of school too. And you want to bring this topic or trend in to talk about with your teacher. That's a great way to build a relationship too. So it's not necessarily that we're asking you guys to flatter your teachers. I'm sure they'd appreciate that. Um, but it's learning how to connect and build connections. And I would say, you know, I have had younger students tell me, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just do it junior year. But the thing is, if you haven't practiced it leading up to junior year, it can still seem really scary. And then you, you feel even more stressed. And then like I had this past season, like it's, it was a perfect storm, Mark. Like my student literally ran out of people he could ask for all of junior year almost. <laughs> between maternity leave and then teachers also taking leave of absence for other things for personal reasons he just ran out of teachers for junior year teachers so this is why building relationships sophomore year and freshman year are important too is you know you never know you know who is going to end up writing that letter of recommendation and in general like just coming from an undergrad business perspective the truth is like i feel like a lot of times in business it's not what you know but who you know so, you know, working on those relationships early on and how to network is, is a valuable skill to have. Yeah, I, I t completely agree. And in teaching leadership, I, I often tell students that it, and like you said, it's not what you know in some cases, it's who you know. And in addition to that, it's who can you know in that can you build a relationship in a sincere way? I run into students, just like you say, that, that are worried about being a brown noser or a, or a suck up. And this is actually one of those times where I, I give them a vocabulary word that it comes in so nice, the word sycophant. And um, <laughs> I let them know that there is a huge difference between being authentic and building a relationship and being a brown noser. And that, I think, is a, it, that's a skill, learning how to do that effectively and build those relationships are probably one of the better skills that they can be practicing in 8th, ninth, 10th, and beyond. Yes, and also I would call out not necessarily just your teachers either, right? Your school is a community. And colleges more and more, I don't know if you were part of the college block party earlier this week, but you know, colleges care about their community. And ideally, if you're going to be a fit for their community, you're already making an impact in your own community. Um, so it doesn't necessarily, because I think a lot of kids think community and they think community service. It, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. But, you know, just being a good person on a day-to-day -day level with your fellow students is important. Yeah, and the definition of community is what you make it. You know, you community small and large and different types of community. And sometimes those community circles intersect with each other and sometimes they're mutually exclusive. So that's something that, that students, you know, the more broadly they have um, relationships built within their communities, um, the better off they're going to be prepared, especially for those schools that actually ask for recommendations that aren't academic. And that can be, like you say, if you've run out of junior teachers, um, you know, you, you also should have other people who can, can speak highly about your character and uh, your ma maturity over time and how responsible you are. Yes. And speaking of that, um, qualities to develop, um, college is also, and I think we're in a unique time frame, right? Because 
COVID. Everything's like shut down, <laughs> summer programs shut down. But I wanted to also talk about like, even as an eighth or ninth grader, you can still explore your intellectual and personal interests. And it doesn't have to cost money. Um, and you and I talk about money a lot when it comes to college, because college costs a lot of money. You don't have to spend 10 grand to learn something. No, and matter of fact, I, I encourage students to, to try to do it without spending any money and using the resources that are available to them or making their own resources, which sounds strange, but especially in, in the case of STEM, um, the students who are, are, are approaching science, uh, schools that, that uh, basically uh, are science-based in, in the w- things that they teach and the things that they expect from students, they also look for those characteristics of being able to make do and being innovative and creative with what you have around you. And that includes what are the things that you challenge yourself and how you challenge yourself with them um, to, to increase your own academic uh, understanding, but also uh, increase your, your creativity and understanding of things as basic as the scientific method. Uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll have students and I'll, I'll challenge them to you know, create their own lab experiment um, based on just a, a, a known variable, set of variables, a dependent and independent variable, and learn how you test and analyze the data that you collect. And that doesn't need to cost anything. You can teach your cat how to fed, and that can be your lab experiment. So it, it doesn't have to cost anything. Yes. And I think the other thing I love about this is, you know, for sure, I don't think all students know exactly what they want to do for the rest of their lives at the age of 17 or 18, you know, when they're applying for college. But I do think it, it, it can be expensive in terms of time and money to try to figure it out in college without any idea. <laughs> so if you get a chance to explore your interests before college, and like I said, and Mark said, you don't have to spend any money to do it, take it. Like I know personally, you know, I didn't do summer programs really, but um, or pay, I should say, I didn't do any paid summer programs. Um, but I had the unique opportunity for a job at a local engineering firm when I was in high school. And at the time, because of like my teachers around me, I was like, oh yeah, I should be like, I'm good at math and science. I should be an engineer. Get, I start working at this engineering firm, Mark. And I realized very quickly, I do not want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> and that is how I never became an engineer or ended up in STEM even. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, that is a much more affordable way of figuring out that this was not the right path for me uh, with like working at an engineering firm where I got to, you know, I, I got to do CAD drawings and, you know, other stuff with the engineers. And, you know, I realized very quickly. And also at the time, I think there are more women in, en- in engineering nowadays, but back then there really wasn't. Um, there were really, and so that's the other thing I realized, like, you know, this isn't quite the environment I, I would like either. So, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities to like shadow uh, or, you know, work in potential fields you might think you want. And that's a great way to learn as well. I couldn't agree more. There's there, uh, one of the things that I tell eighth and ninth graders, especially is, Use your summers to find out, and like you said, it is just as valuable to find out what you don't like as it is to find out what you really do like. 
And if you're going to have to pay $70,000 a year in college, and you could have found out earlier that you didn't want to go into engineering, um, that's, that's a value add. That is a very good use of time and money if you're in eighth and ninth grade and find out that's not the direction I want to go. But just as important, when you're making those choices, you want to make sure that if you have an opportunity to be exposed to things that you don't know or things that you aren't sure that you might like, those are just as important as following the things that you specifically have a talent for or a passion for. Yes, I, I would totally agree with you there. And, you know, because sometimes you don't know what you want until you try it. So don't be afraid to wander outside of your comfort zone. Oh, that's where most of the fun stuff is, is outside of the comfort zone. Uh, John Stewart said that one of the things he's most proud of is, is he, knows all, he knows a lot of the things that he doesn't do well. And um, basically, that's just a statement that, you know, he's tried a lot of things and he's found things that he's good at doing that he didn't know. And I think that's, that's one of the, the most interesting things about challenging yourself to do something that you might not be successful at doing is finding out that, hey, maybe you have a talent for it. That's a great point. And speaking of like, because we're also in essay season and, you know, I think another challenge that mm -hmm. students have is learning how to self-reflect. Um, so what tips do you have for that? Oh, man. And so uh, when I teach leadership, one of the big words that comes out and, and in different, different groups of, of teens that I've worked with, some of them have been in schools where the entire focus of the school is reflection. A lot of IB schools, uh, the uh, African Leadership Academy in Johannesburg, their entire curriculum is based on reflection. So whenever I bring up, you know, take a minute, ask yourself what was important about this and what have you learned? And it's, it's funny because after it becomes habit, when somebody asks you to do it, you, you realize I'm doing this already. But if you haven't done it, building those habits can come in so handy. And especially like you say, come the time to write your personal statement essay. If you've been reflecting and documenting, actually writing down two or three things each night that you've learned about yourself or the world or people around you, if you've identified two or three things during the day and written them down and it becomes a habit every evening, boy, that, that compendium of things that you've learned is gold when you need to reflect and identify the things that have really influenced you and your character development over the years when you're a junior. Yes, and those are not only just useful for the essays, but also for the brag sheets, I would add. <laughs> and uh, I would say like, you know, it's interesting because when I was growing up, journaling was something we would do uh, just part of school. You'd journal, right? And I think a lot of kids did not like this activity. Uh, but I would say as an adult, you know, even just taking like 15 to 20 minutes, like you said, Mark and I, to just jot down a few thoughts, you know, that that's a great start. And I've also realized like for some of my students, you know, that's where some of their uh, creative writing or writing like interests also start. So, you know, you might get started on India and just let it flow from there. But, you know, I think a good place to start when you're in eighth or ninth grade is even if you can just dedicate 20 minutes a night to just look at your day or what's going on in the world and your thoughts on it is a great start. 
Yeah, and I, I, I even that the thing is, I, I know that there are people who hate taking that time, and they don't see it as fruitful, especially when you start. And so, what I challenge them is only write down two or three or four sentences, no more than that. Start with that. Challenge yourself to do that for a month in a row. And pretty much after you've done it for a month in a row, it's harder not to on the 31st day than it is to actually do it. So what happens, I've actually had juniors who have been doing it for a couple of years and, and they, you know, they secretly have been writing more and more because they found the benefit in it. And I think that's one of those things that definitely they can take into college and beyond. And it's, it's definitely a, a, a critical component in reviewing what you're learning about yourself and others in the world that you can take with you beyond college for sure. I would also add, if you can learn how to story tell, <laughs> yeah. uh, that would be great. <laughs> Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes it comes more naturally for some than others. But if you can work on that as well, um, as you reflect, it, it's very helpful later on. Agreed. My, I have a friend who's one of the best magicians in the world. and His name's Eric Mead. And he has a quote that is, the person with the best story wins every time. And I use that when I give essay workshops and I let them know you know, your story, your personal story that colleges read, you know, it's 650 or 500 words. And you have to be able to captivate somebody reading on the other side to say, your story moved me in that I see you as valuable for our community. And I think there again, person with the best story wins every time. Yes. And, you know, just having the story is not enough. You have to be able to convey it. Well, and that's, and that's the, the trick. If you can start doing that early and you find out what kind of things make a captivating story to begin with, um, that, that in, is a skill and a talent and something that you can definitely get better at. Yes. And so what are our thoughts in terms of college? How oh. do they prepare for college? Well, it's an interesting time for that because we've got seniors who have you know, they had to make some choices on colleges that maybe they didn't even have a chance to go visit. And now we've got juniors who look like, you know, they have not had a chance to go on the college tours that they wanted to. Mm -hmm. So we are not sure, as, as, you, as you mentioned when we started talking about this, we don't have a crystal ball to look into. So some of this, we kind of have to project and say, okay, worst case scenario, if you can't actually go visit a college, what are some of the things you can do as an eighth or ninth or sophomore? What are some of the things you can do to identify colleges that might have things you are interested in? I think one of, that's a great point. And then the other point is I feel like, right, well, right now we're not allowed to go anywhere. But, <laughs> but when we are allowed to go somewhere again, I would say even starting local. Um, so you don't have to fly anywhere. But just figuring out like some basic, you know, uh, factors that might matter to you in your college search. For example, public versus private, yeah. uh, small versus large, you know, the setting, you know, just even simple things like that. You can start as, you know, when you're, when you're younger, even though some of, sometimes that will evolve and change. Um, but those are things, you know, you could just do, you know, like for example, I live in New Jersey. So Princeton's not far. People are all over that campus, whether they go to that school or not. 
just because it's a really nice area in New Jersey to just explore with your family. So, you know, that's what I would say. It doesn't even have to be an official visit necessarily, um, but just figuring out what you like. I completely agree. There's, um, there's a consultant here in, in Seattle. Her name's Ann Wager. And she developed, uh, it's online and it's free. It's called Corsava and it's Corsava.com. And basically it's a list. Uh, it's over a hundred items of different characteristics of schools where you, it doesn't matter what grade you are currently in. You can go, you can identify things and how important they are to you and basically build up this list of what a school would look like. What are the characteristics that are most important to you? And like you say, you can identify ones that are local that have those kind of characteristics. And then hopefully when we can all gather around again, um, you can go visit those kinds of schools. Yes. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, and then I think the other thing is like taking advantage of virtual visits. I feel like a lot of admissions folks have become much more accessible during this time. Uh, so, you know, for the juniors or sophomores that aren't able to go anywhere this year and not for the younger ones, you know, just even using the, the internet, <laughs> um, to get in touch and, you know, like Mark and I talked about before those communication skills, practicing that. One of the things I, and, and I know you've run into this as well. And, and now that students are being pushed into uh, the only way that they can get information from about colleges is YouTube and, and student reviews, but also the, the information that colleges put out there in the web. Um, I, I, yeah, uh, the number of students I've heard say, you know, X college, they're, what they put out there on the web is horrible. And I, I have to nod knowingly and realize that schools don't realize that information that they put out there has a direct influence on how a student views the school. And, have, and as, as you have, we, we tour a lot of schools. And I cannot tell you how many schools I've actually went to. And then when I look at their website, they look like two different things. Yes. Have you run into that? Yes, I definitely have. So, you know, it's not, you can't always judge a book by its cover. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Yep. Those are, those are the things that I think uh, students need to be aware of. I hate it when they throw a school under the bus and they're not even going to consider it based on information that the, the, that the university or college put uh, on their website. And, and I think that that's something if, for any representative, for any admissions rep who's, who's listening to this, um, I hope that they, and I, I'm sure they know, but, and they hear it from students, but boy, make that, that web presence as, as positive and as real as possible. Yes. And as you and I both know, like the website is your, like your online storefront. Yep. So, you know, making it easy to navigate is also really important for students that are so digital these days. Agreed. Agreed. So what are some of the skills that we should have eighth and ninth graders develop they have this nice long runway now. What are some practical things that uh, you uh, think are applicable for an eighth and ninth grader to learn? I love that you said this. Um, obviously, our favorite is learn to cook. Oh, I remember yeah. when I started um, at school and I, I hated the food and I lost like 10 pounds, I think, when my mom came to see me for whatever parents weekend. And after that, like we like loaded up on 
pots and pans and everything. And I, I just started grocery shopping and I, I realized I was just so much happier, even though it sometimes took more time to cook, but being uh, the daughter of a retired chef, like I'd never had food that, <laughs> that comfort, comforted me. Yep. And so I would say if there's something like before you go to college, definitely learn how to cook your favorite comfort dishes from home. Totally agree that. And, and like you, like you say, it's it, the comfort part of it. Freshman 15, I've seen go both ways. I've seen the freshman 15 as an ad when you haven't learned those basic skills of portion control or when and what to eat. And then I've seen the 15, uh, the freshman 15 go the other way where somebody like you said, just like you did losing 15 pounds, that's not healthy. And if you have done that, uh, a lot of times that can have an influence on how you are showing up to class alert and prepared and being able to study. And I think that's dangerous as well. So what are, what are the comfort foods? What, what are, okay, let's, let's identify a couple of the go-to things. We've done this previously on, on another podcast where we talked about the, the foods that you should uh, learn how to prepare. What, what, are the, what are the three that we'll go with? Obviously, we always talk about macaroni and cheese, although I feel like that's cheating to cook that. Um, <laughs> but like, I think for yourselves, like, so I'm going to say my personal comfort food that I think most Asian or Chinese people would agree with and they'll laugh at this, but tomatoes and eggs. It sounds really easy and it's not hard to cook actually. Um, and there are different variations of it. But I think if you're, if you're Chinese or Asian, we usually have grown up with that dish. So learning how to cook that before you get to school, you're going to feel a little less homesick after if you know how to cook that. Yeah, that's, that's a definite start. And, and I love to cook. So there are certain things that I tell students, you know, over the course, if you've got uh, four years, there is absolutely no reason that you shouldn't know how to cook an egg in multiple ways. Um, because that is an easy, cheap protein and you can put different stuff with it and it can actually be a meal by itself. That's a great point. And most of the time at cafeterias, it's all scrambled. So, right. so if you don't like scrambled eggs, learn how to cook the eggs you like. Yeah, agreed. And you know, if they could advance to the area of poached eggs, if you like that, you know, that that's something you better have a couple of years of practice at. <laughs> How about you, Mark? What, what, what food do you think? Um, oh, and we talked about this in, in a previous podcast, a chicken breast. You should, because just being able to either bake it or pan fry it, that can be, if you can learn how to properly season it, season it and cook it, that can be a comfort food all by itself. That's a great point. And it's really hard. Like even now I'm learning as an adult because we don't eat chicken breasts really in Chinese culture. And, but to land it tender on the inside without burning it on the outside um, is, is a very difficult skill to master. Agreed. The other one is noodles in whatever shape, form, cultural de definition of noodle that you want. But being able to cook noodles and add whatever your, your sauce of choice, whether that's butter and, and, and cheese, but I think that is one for a comfort food, depending on where you come from and, and what your culture is, that pretty much is a, is a go-to. Yes. Especially like I think about like uh, if you go to school somewhere cold, a warm, 
you know, dish and noodles might, might hit the spot. <laughs> Agreed. So what, what's another practical thing that uh, we, want, we want eighth and ninth graders to start learning so that they are a master by the time that they have to go to college? Well, this is one I, I discovered in college. I knew how to do this, but I was, I was actually quite shocked that I had peers that did not how to know how to do this. And that's just washing laundry. Uh, and not knowing how to separate colors and whites or what to pour or how much to pour. So that was like eye-opening for me to get to college because I'd done that all through high school to not know how to do that in college and have like, you know, there's always going to be one of, uh, one of us that knows how and them teaching everybody else. Agreed. And I, you know, you see sitcoms always making fun of it, but I have, I saw this done when I got to college and that was, the one red sock that ruined everything. And basically anything that was white was then pink. And <laughs> I, I think that's one of those things where learning to do laundry on your own, it, it, and it's, it's one of those things that actually can be, you, you can uh, make it into a, a kind of a form of relaxation and kind of zoning out and listening to the way the machines sound. I know a lot of people who do some of their best writing when they're listening to the dryer or listening to a washing machine. And you also never know who you'll meet in the laundry room. <laughs> yeah. I remember I had a friend, she's like, I met the, the nicest guy. And then I said, oh, great. Did you get his number? And he's like, well, she's like, no, I then found out he was a prince. And I said, oh, yeah, I don't think you got a shot. <laughs> But in general, you never know who you might meet doing laundry as well. Agreed. Agreed. So one of the things that I ask students to do, and I, whenever I give presentations and talk about things that you want students to do and parents allow your, your, your kids to do this and develop these skills, is to read. Do you ever find that that's one thing now, especially I find out that you know juniors have for the last three years, all they've done is read their Twitter feed. That I haven't heard, the Twitter feed. But I, I think, especially like when students tell me they want to apply for Columbia, and I'm like, how much have you read? And they're like, for fun? And I'm like, yes, for fun. And they're like, well, I don't have time for that, or I, that's not something I enjoy. <laughs> and then I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be the best fit for you. Um, so I think I do know they don't read enough, actually. Um, so I, I do love that you mentioned that, you know, reading. And then the other thing I would say also is important is, learning to listen if you're typically a talker and learning to speak up if you're typically quiet. Agreed. Those are, those are things that basically in the, in the classroom, if, if you're coming into a classroom and you don't have anything to bring to the discussion or you don't have the practice of being able to communicate ideas effectively, that makes your, your time in the classroom much less efficient and effective. And it's also one of those things where it's responsible to come to class prepared with diverse ideas and be able to communicate them effectively. And I think that's one thing that students don't realize when you go from high school to college, the expectation falls on you to be an active part of your own education. Yes. And you don't want to be the kid asking annoying questions in class just for class participation points because they, they do call those out. That's um, where the sick effect comes in again. <laughs> and then I think the other one is because I'm sure you get a lot of students that are like, oh, like I, my list and it's all Ivies. And then you look at their GPA or you look at whatever and you're like, oh, we may have missed the boat on that. 
So I think for those people, do you want to talk a little bit about that elite train and what it means to prepare for it? Sure. And I think that's like you say, it's, it's, it's almost disheartening when a student, uh, basically, you start having that first conversation and you ask them, you know, what kind of schools are you thinking about applying to? And in that first conversation, they drop, you know, some top tier schools and you realize you look at the classes that they've taken and you look at the grades that they've maintained and you realize it's not going to happen. And you have to have that conversation about uh, the realistic reach of what they're going to be um, competitive for. And I think that is one of those things. If you have had that conversation as a eighth grader, a ninth grader, and just said, you know, if you want to prepare for X, whatever X is, um, these are the kind of things that you're going to want to aim for. And these are the kind of standards you're going to want to maintain. And I think a big one is the courses you choose and the grades that you choose to get in studying for them. Yes, I like that you brought it up um, because I know like accelerated medical programs are pretty popular here. And, right. you know, a lot of times they don't realize because they say, oh, well, my school doesn't rank. Yes, they don't rank and tell you guys, but they rank and will tell the school programs because most of them are looking for top 5% and above. And so it's hard because when you see a kid that has worked so hard and literally gotten pretty much straight A's or A's and B's in their courses, but their GPA isn't competitive because of rigor, it, it, that's a hard conversation to have because you can't turn back time and, and change your classes. So can you go into a little bit about rigor and what that means? That's one of the questions that I think, if, if there's one question that I hear more often than any other uh, when I give public presentations is, is it better to take a harder class and get a lower grade or get a higher grade in an easier class? And based on hundreds of conversations with admissions reps, and unless they are telling us completely a different story than reality, almost across the board, they'll say, take the harder class and do as well as you can. And basically, it's a math equation. If you take a, a class that has very little rigor, but you get a good grade, what they do is they multiply the rigor times your grade. And that's where you get people who have a 4.3 or 4.4 grade average as opposed to a 4.0. You can have a 4.0 and have gotten A's in all your classes, but with very little rigor. You can have another student who gets a 3.8 unweighted, but because of rigor, they've got a 4.2. And the person who has the 4.2 is going to be looked at with a much uh, more positive lens by um, an admissions representative. And I would say, because like uh, some students don't know, how, how do they know like, what, what that GPA is supposed to be? Most of the high schools have their school profile on their website. And if your school does rank, then you can see, or sometimes they'll post what like the average high GPAs are. So like I know for one of my local schools, it's a 4.7, um, which is crazy because when you meet kids that have like a 4.2 and they don't understand why certain schools might not work out, it's they don't realize that the top of the list has a 4.7. So, you know, it might help to just check that out on your local school's website. And sometimes that can be just having a conversation early on, especially with freshmen. And I'm going to throw my Y chromosome brethren under the bus because it happens so much more often in, 
in my, my uh, the students I work with, freshman males decide to dig this incredible academic GPA hole in the freshman year. And a lot of times it's just having a conversation with them early so that they know the ramifications. Because a lot of times I'll have a junior who says, I had no idea. No one told me until, you know, the end of my sophomore year of what I was actually doing and what it meant. And so those are the kind of conversations that are definitely things that we can do as eighth and ninth graders. Great point. So I think we covered a lot of stuff. What would you like to close with, Mark? Oh, well, since we're in, in a situation that is unprecedented, and since we don't have a crystal ball, and I think a lot of the things that we're dealing with here in June of 2020 have almost so much to do with COVID and what colleges are going to be doing come September, and also what high schools are going to be doing come September. What have you, have you had uh, conversations with your, your seniors who are headed off to college? At least we think they might be headed off to college. How have you been addressing that with uh, your students um, who, are, who are graduating here in a, in a week or two and they don't know exactly what their future looks like at college? That's such a great point. And, you know, it's interesting because I actually just had a parent ask me, you know, is it justified to start at an Ivy and pay 70 grand when my daughter is going to be at home for the fall? And, you know, I don't think anyone's, some schools have rolled out their fall plans and you'll see it in the media, but many still haven't and they are still, you know, taking shape. And what I would say is just be open and prepared for whatever may come um, in terms of adversity. I think you guys will face the most adversity. Um, I would also say, you know, do whatever you can to prepare beforehand because it can get costly and, there is a chance they may graduate and are into a recession. Uh, so, you know, being smart about their time. Um, so even if they're not there, it doesn't mean that they still can't build relationships. And I honestly think this is temporary, you know, them studying from home, if that's what's going to happen, or if they start school early in, in August and then, you know, come back in Thanksgiving, this situation is not permanent. And that's what I have been trying to tell my students is if you can keep an open mind and just weather through this, I promise you're going to get back to that traditional college experience, hopefully um, for at least the last two years of your college career. How about you, Mark? Yeah, that's very similar to what I've been telling students as well. And and that's one of the things we have to remember, there will be an end to this, we don't know when, and we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but we do know, you know, colleges are going to still be around and you are going to be going there eventually um, and preparing and being flexible, knowing the things that you can control and the things you can't control so that you don't make yourself crazy. Those are some of the things that uh, I think students need to learn how to do anyway. So learning to be flexible and identify the things you can control are the, the things that are really going to pay off once school does open up. Yes. And I would say, don't be afraid to tell someone if you are struggling that you're struggling. Um, Cause online learning isn't for everyone in general, transitioning from high school to college is challenging. So, you know, don't be afraid to speak up and get help if, if you need it. Agreed. One of the things I've been uh, pushing the students I'm working with to really focus on now, just basically because I think it's something, A, they can control, 
and B, it's a good possibility if you just look at what the trends are now. If we know that schools, uh, colleges and universities have had a, a major impact on their bottom line, basically they've, they've given refunds on tuition and, and room and board, which are a big part of their operating costs. We know that money's gonna have to come from somewhere. So uh, there is a very good and very real chance that scholarship money merit money and scholarship money are going to be less available. So with that in mind, I've been having students and juniors as well, identifying scholarships early, applying to many often, and, and basically setting themselves up early in that process and becoming masters of, of the scholarship application, because we don't know how much financial aid is going to be available for at least a year, if not two years. That's a great point. Thanks for listening to College Admissions with Mark and Anna, where we make getting into college easy and fun. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to get updated each time we release a new episode. Also, for more helpful college admissions information, visit our website at www.collegeadmissionspodcast.com.